Hello, friends. Welcome to Read 'em and Weep. It's me, your host, Sammy. And today's episode is all about the mini main at the World Series of Poker this year. So, obviously, the last three episodes have been about the main event, and that was a, a pretty epic tournament for sure. But the first tournament I played at the World Series of Poker was the mini main. And for me, somebody who's not really well versed in live tournaments, especially not at the World Series, I thought it was really critical that I played a tournament before just jumping into the main, even though obviously the main was the main reason I was there. So the mini main went down on Sunday. So the family and I flew in on Saturday night. We got there late, rented the car. The whole thing was a disaster. Traveling with kids is just always a complete shit show, even if it's like a 45 minute flight like it is for us from the Bay Area to Vegas. Even it being such a minor little flight. Man, just traveling with kids is just the stone fucking low. But we got through it and got to our Airbnb uh, late Saturday night. And then the mini main event started at 10 a.m. Sunday morning. So the mini main is a 1K buy-in. The levels are only 30 minutes in the mini as opposed to two hours in the main. So it goes quite a bit quicker. And this episode is not going to be like the World Series episodes, uh, the previous ones. It's not going to be like 10, 12 hands or anything. I'm going to do three hands on this podcast. Just three hands that I thought were interesting in this tournament. And uh, and we'll go from there. So enough pussyfooting around. Let's get into some hands. Okay, so hand one. Hand one starts at 400, 800 with an 800 big blind Andy. Uh, it's a couple levels in. I still have a starting stack of about where I started. I think I'm at about 60K at this point. And middle position opens off an 800 big blind to 1800. And it folds around to me in the small blind. And I look down at ace eight of clubs. And this is kind of an interesting spot because, you know, in cash games, I play a largely three better fold strategy from the small blind. In tournaments, you can flat quite a bit more. Uh, the reason A is because you're usually not playing as deep. And then another reason is there's an ante involved, right? In cash games, almost all cash games, there's no ante. But in tournaments, there are. And so that incentivizes you to flat a little bit more because you're getting far better odds to to flat, right? There's no And there's no rake being taken out. So I'm not especially sure what kind of hands I'm supposed to be three betting and what kind of hands I'm supposed to be calling, but I decide to call this one. It's a hand that can make the nuts, ace eight of clubs, and it's also a hand that can dominate some of the opens from middle position, particularly all their eight X, but obviously all the ace X that that position's opening. Uh, most of them dominate me, so I'm going to have to navigate carefully, but it's really just playing this hand for its suited value. So I flat 1800 from the small blind with ace eight of clubs and the big blind actually gets out of the way, which is great. And we go heads up to a flop and I flop a flush draw with my ace eight of clubs. It comes queen seven, five with two clubs. I check and with about 5,200 in the pot, middle position continues for about 30% pot. He bets 1500 in a 5,200. And I think that this spot is pretty close. It's an obvious continue with the nut flush draw. But I also have a backdoor straight draw, right? Ace eight of clubs on queen seven five. So I have some nebulous backdoor straight draws. And for that reason, I think it's pretty close. The The general rule is against small bets, you can check raise quite a bit more liberally than, you're, than you can against larger bets. And this is a pretty small bet. So I think it's a fine time to check raise. That being said, I tend to like to have a little more combo to my draw to start using it as a check raise. And, and that's just really like an overall strategic thing because 
it's not that this hand isn't worth check raising. It's that if you're check raising too many draws, then when you check raise, you just don't have enough made hands in your range. You know what I mean? You're way too draw heavy and people can play accordingly against you. And especially on a board like queen seven, five, I'm not really going to have a lot of two pair when I flat out of position from the small blind. Like I'm not going to have queen seven. I'm not going to have seven, five, even the suited varieties. So for that reason, with no realistic two pairs represented for me, uh, it's really just sets and then draws. So I can't check raise with too many draws. So I decide to check call this one. And the turn comes an interesting card. It pairs the seven, pairs the middle card. So queen seven, five, seven. I have ace eight of clubs, so I still have the nut flush draw. And at this point, there's about 8,200 in the pot. And I think this is a really good example of being able to lead when the middle card pairs. Because when the middle card pairs, it favors the out-of-position non-aggressor quite a bit more, just because I'm going to have a lot more sevens the way that I've played my hand than the way he's played his. And and kind of the reason for that is in his position on the flop, he's going to want to bet his top pairs, and he may or may not turn his bottom pairs into multi-street bluffs, but his middle pairs are very incentivized to just check and get to showdown somewhat cheaply, whereas I'm always going to check call when I have middle pair. So when the middle card pairs, it's just better for my overall range. And so I get to lead this card and I get to lead it when I have a seven. But then also sometimes when I have a hand like this, like my flush draws, I get to lead this card and I have a really good hand candidate to do so. So there's 8,200 in the pot. I bet 3K doesn't take a big bet here because what I'm really trying to do is fold out his ace highs. I'm trying to fold out his, you know, maybe his pocket nines or something like that. That's just like, oh, yeah, this is a really shitty card for me. Either he's got a queen or a seven. I'm just going to fold. So I don't need to go especially big here. And I do bet 3K into 8,200. And he quickly folds his hand. So congratulations to me. Got that one through. Obviously not a big hand, not a really critical hand, but I just think it's a really well technically played hand. This is a spot where bluffing the turn is a lot more effective than checking and he checks back and then I try to bluff the river. Or do I? Because I have ace high. Sometimes ace high is good. You know, so it's kind of a weird spot for me on the river if the turn goes check, check. And then also the bluff's more effective because I can leverage the river, meaning, okay, I bet here, if he chooses to call, he knows he may be facing a bigger bet on the river. So it's a bigger commitment for him than it is to just call a river bet. Like say he just had something like ace jack he may snap it off on the river just thinking I have a lot of missed flush draws. So by leading here on the turn when the middle card pairs, it just gives me control of the hand in a spot where I'm allowed to take control of it. And I took a nice little pot. And, you know, when you're at 60K and you pick up 8,200, it's like, okay, that's that's a nice little chunk. You know what I mean? So, again, not a big hand, but a, a, a well-played technically hand by me. Good job, Sammy. Okay, that's hand one. Let's move on to hand two. All right, hand two. Hand two comes from the 1K big blind level. So it's 500 1K with a 1K big blind Annie. At this point, I have, I think I still have about 60K, somewhere in there, like 60, 65K at this point. There's an open from middle position to 2.2K. Then a player in the hijack flats 
and it gets to me on the button and I have nine, six of spades, big lick. And I decide to flat here. I'm going to want to flat very wide from the button. And obviously the farther away your suited hands start getting, the worse they are. I love suited one gappers. Suited two gappers are, are pretty marginal. But at this table, I feel like I have a fairly good skill advantage over most of the players, including the two that have already put money in the pot. And from any other position, I'd kind of be folding, except for maybe the big blind uh, when it got to me. But any other position, I'd be folding this hand. But on the button, I want to flat very, very widely because I get to play in position the rest of the hand. And so I call. And the big blind comes along as well. And we go four ways to a flop. You don't see a lot of four-way pots in tournaments. Uh, you see them at 2-5 and 5-10 cash all the time. But here we get a four-way pot. And the flop comes... King five, three, all spades. I flop gin ball, flop the flush with my nine, six of spades. And it goes check, 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 and checks to me. And with 10K in the pot here, I think betting is clearly best. There shouldn't be a bunch of big hands out here against me because the original razor was second to act. So only one player checked to him. So the third player in the hijack, when it was checked to that player, if he had a pretty good hand, I think he'd probably start betting now. So the fact that nobody has bet kind of makes only the big blind somebody who probably has a big hand here. Who knows? Unless somebody's slow playing the nuts, which would obviously suck for me. But we're not going to worry about that. Definitely going to bet here. There's 10K in the pot, and I go pretty small. I go 2.5K. And I think in general, on monotone boards, you want to go small with pretty much all of your bets. I certainly have a hand that benefits from protection because another spade would be really bad for my hand. But I kind of want my bet sizing to cover the other types of hands that I would want to bet. Say I had a hand like King Jack, Red King Jack on King 5-3 all spades. I would want to bet it here. But I wouldn't want to bet really big. You know, say I had a hand like Ace 10 with the ace of spades. I would want to bet small to generate some folds, but then if somebody check raised me, it wouldn't be so big that I'd have to fold, you know? So all of my hands, if you kind of want to fit them into one bet sizing, and really when you study solvers, on some textures, there's going to be boards where you want to have two different sizings. That's something I'm still trying to figure out, but I think that having one sizing here is just fine, so I bet small, right? Because again, multi-way, you generally want to bet small. And on monotone boards, you want to bet small. So I bet small. I bet a quarter pot. I think I could go bigger here, though. I think I could go three or four K and that would be just fine. But I go a quarter pot. And now the big blind, who's got a somewhat short stack, check raises to 7.5. So he goes three X. The original razor and the hijack folds and it gets back to me. And I think calling here is clearly best, right? Because I want this player to keep barreling on the turn and get himself pot stuck. Obviously, I'm giving him a free card to try to catch a spade or whatever, if if that's what he's got. But the elements for a trap are all here. I have a really good hand and I have position and we're not that deep. I think this guy started with about 30K. So once he makes a 7.5K check raise, he's got about 23K left and the turn pot size will be 25K. So he's just going to have a pot size bet. So those are the things you're kind of we're kind of looking for when we want to lay traps is we're not super deep, we have a good hand, and we're in position. So all those elements are here, and I call. The turn comes a very good card. It's a red queen. So king, five, three, all spades. I have nine, six of spades. 
and then red queen on the turn. There's 25k in the pot. Again, he's got 23k left, and he bets small again. He bets 9k into 25k. And I can't say I love this sizing because this is kind of exactly how he'd play it if he had the nut flush. But if he's got something like that, the nut flush or a higher flush, I mean, you know, just going to pay him off. Like this is not a hand that's that that I'd even consider folding here. You know, if I was on the bubble of the freaking main event, I mean, maybe, but but we ain't. We're in the 1K mini main and I flopped a flush. I ain't folding it, bro. So he bets 9K into 25K, leaving himself 14. And now my big question is, do I call again and trap and see if he blasts the river or do I raise all in now? And I think it's pretty close. Like if I end up trapping the river, there's no guarantee that he keeps blasting with his bluffs because he really shouldn't expect me to fold. If I called flop and called turn, you know, there's so little money now compared to what he has left. Like he shouldn't expect an all in jam to work. So I'd expect him to stop bluffing a lot of the time, which is kind of a point in favor of not continuing to trap. But there's an iteration where he checks the river and then I go all in and he calls thinking that, you know, I have like a missed draw. So that would be cool. That said, all in all, I think raising all in here is best just because he's got hands that are going to call off like he's going to have a lot of naked ace of spades hands here. And he's just got so few chips left that that he's not going to fold that hand. He's going to call now and just hope that he gets there on the river, whereas if the river bricks. Again, he might not try to bluff at it, just knowing that he's probably going to get called most of the time. And then he can have like some King X or some like weird two pair, you know, King five suited, King three suited, stuff like that. That's just going to call. And those hands like those two pair hands would, you know, maybe fold the river if another spade came. So I don't want the action killing card to come. So on balance, I think that just raising all in here is the move. And I do. And he snap folds. He snapped fold, so he had fuck all, apparently. And that's all right. That's fine. I mean, obviously, in retrospect, I'm like, oh, I should have trapped again and seen. But I think the thought process through this hand was right. And I think, by and large, raising here on the turn is right, especially considering the stack sizes. And I think one lesson that we can look back on in this hand that really, I think, was the critical part is my small bet on the flop. Because essentially, what this guy was doing was attacking my small bet sizing thinking that I didn't have shit. And that is the power of protecting your bet sizing with strong hands and vulnerable hands alike. You know, I think in poker, especially at at smaller and, and middle stakes cash games, players really give a lot away with their bet sizing. And if you kind of have a holistic strategy, not like what is my specific hand want to do, but what do my hand classes want to do? What do my range want to do? on certain boards and certain textures, if you like fall into, you know, kind of a a holistic framework, your hands are protected. You'll have weak hands, some weak hands, some vulnerable hands, and some really strong hands alike in certain bet sizing. And people can't take advantage of that. And what this guy essentially did, like I said, was see my small bet sizing and try to attack it thinking, oh, everybody check to this guy on the on the button. And then he makes a small bet, just hoping to take it down. I'm going to check raise his ass and then I'm going to like get after it. And that's exactly what he did. And he lost almost all his chips for it. He ended up getting busted a short time later, but I ended up winning a nice like 34 K pot. And that got me from like 60 ish K up to a hundred K, which at this point in the tournament, when the blinds are 501 K 
that's a pretty nice chunk. Now I'm up to 100 big blinds. I have plenty of playability and life is good. So congratulations to me. Allow myself to congratulate myself on this hand. And you might be thinking, oh yeah, well, big fucking deal, Sammy. You flopped a flush and and somebody gave you a bunch of chips. Like, congratulations. And uh, to that, I say, you're right. It's all true. Okay, well, that's hand two. Let's move on to hand three. Okay, hand three. Throw me a freaking bonus hand here. We are now at 1K, 2K with a 2K big blind Annie. And it folds all the way around to the small blind, who's a kind of newer player at the table. Young guy, seems pretty sharp. He's fairly short stacked. He's got 45K, which is about 22 and a half big blinds. So not a ton of chips. I have about 100K here, so about 50 big blinds. He thinks about it and he limps into my big blind. And I look down at queen 10 offsuit. And I'm actually not sure what I'm supposed to do here. I think raising is just fine because there's 6K in the pot. And I would like that 6K. And this player is heavily incentivized to play because he's getting like five to one odds to limp. So he should be basically playing every hand, at least almost every hand. And I have a way better than average hand with queen 10 offsuit. At the same time, it's one of those hands that can't really withstand a re-raise. And so if I raise to like 8K or 6K or something like that, and he stuffs, I kind of have to fold the hand and I lose the value of playing a pretty strong hand in position. So like I said, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do here, uh, but I end up checking and we go to a flop and I flop the joint. I flop the nuts, you guys. I flop it again. Jack, nine, eight with two spades, the top and bottom Carter spades. And I have queen 10 with no spade. So Jack, nine, eight, two spades. I have queen 10, flop the straight. Even better news for me is he leads 3K into 6K. And this is freaking awesome. And I think he could be leading with a ton of hands. He could be leading with a Jack, a nine, an eight, all of which could have some sort of straight draw present, either a bad gutter or the open ender. Uh, with a 10 in the hand, obviously not as likely because I have a 10, but but certainly with all the offsuit varieties, there's plenty of combinations in there. He could also have two spades. He could also have some big hands like two pair, something like nine, eight or jack nine or whatever. He could have naked 10x. He could have spade draws and he might just have fuck all, you know, five, four offsuit or something like that. And just be hoping that a small bet takes it down, whereas I have nothing. So all those things considered, I decide to kind of trap as I did in the previous hand and see what he does on the turn and let the pot grow a little bit and see if I can get some added value. Certainly, it's a little more precarious in this spot because on jack nine, eight with two spades, there's a lot of turn cards I don't like, right? I don't like spades. And then I also don't like hands that kind of fuck my straight up like a queen or a 10 or, you know, hands like that. Right. They're they're cards that can kind of ruin my action. So I think that going for a full trap on this board, probably not the best, but I'm going to trap on the flop. So I do call his 3K and the turn comes a great card. It's just a regular offsuit deuce. So jack nine, eight with two spades and then offsuit deuce. I have queen 10. So I have the nut straight. And now he bets 9K into 12K. And this is fantastic news for me. He's got about 33K left. And now I think the question is, just like in the previous hand, I have the nuts here. Do I raise here and just try to get it all in? 
or do I trap one more time? And kind of like the last hand, I think that raising all in here or even just making a smaller raise is the play because when he bets twice, including a three quarters pot bet on the turn, he's saying he has something really good, something that he probably doesn't want to fold. That doesn't mean that he won't fold if I raise because I should be raising really strong hands here, but just that he's probably got a lot more than bullshit that's just trying to like take the pot. So I think about raising and I'm not really sure what the sizing is because again, he bet 9K. If I raise all in, it looks pretty strong and I don't want to let my guy off the hook. But if I raise smaller, that looks really trappy because he's only got 33K behind. So what do I do? Raise to 20K, 25K? I mean, 25 is almost his whole stack. So it's kind of like, I don't know. I'm not really sure about the sizing here. What do I do? I think all in all, probably jamming all in is just best because that's what I would probably do with like some of my bigger draws and stuff like that. But I, you know, it, it, it's kind of a weird spot. And these are these are spots that, again, don't come up a ton in cash games because you're just playing a lot deeper in general. Yeah, you know, you're not playing 22, 23 big blinds deep hardly ever. All in all, I just do think raising here is better just because there's so many action killing cards that have that can come on the river. And I already tested the poker gods once and they gave me a complete blank on the turn. I couldn't be so lucky as to have another blank come on the river, could I? But I do decide to put the full trap on. I end up calling, uh, thinking about it now, I definitely think raising is better. But I end up calling because in the moment, I kind of feel like he's going to just keep blasting off on the river with all his missed draws. His missed spades, his 10x, hands like that. And then if he's just got like a jack, like say he's got like, I don't know, Jack 10 or King Jack, if a blank comes, he might check call all in thinking that, oh, I was just calling along two streets with a draw. And now I'm desperately trying to bluff all in when a when a blank hits the river. So that's kind of what's going through my head. In retrospect, again, I don't think it's actually good, but that's what I was thinking. And the river comes an okay card. It comes in offsuit eight. So it does pair the board and I no longer have the nuts. And certainly two pair hands that contain an eight uh, are hands that he'd probably play this way. If he had like jack eight or nine eight, it would totally make sense for him to just go bet, bet, bet. So clearly he's going to make some full houses here, but I expect they're kind of few and far between because I would expect him to raise preflop and not just limp in if he had pocket eights, pocket nines, pocket jacks. So I think the chances that he has a full house are pretty slim. So when he overbet jams all in, and it's not a big overbet, but it's like 33K into a 30K pot, I don't think about it very long at all before calling. Because like I said, he could just have missed spades. He could have a strong jack. He could have a missed straight draw, like 10X, whatever. Um, and he could have the bottom end of the straight, right? He could have something like 10-7 suited or whatever. So I just think there are still a lot of hands that he can jam. And then even a, a two-pair hand like Jack-9, there's not really much a reason for Jack-9 to not jam all in here on the river either. So for all those reasons, I, I call pretty quickly, and I get the bad news that this motherfucker done rivered me. He had pocket jacks. So I was wrong in my assumption that he would raise preflop with all those pairs, but like, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, he was trying to get the limp re-raise all in preflop, so, you know, I, I just didn't go for it, and we had to take a flop, and... uh yeah, he ended up getting me on the river. Now, I don't want to be results-oriented about this hand because it was just a setup hand, 
right? It just was what it was. I was destined to lose all my chips. If he had raised pre-flop, I would have called and we would have seen the flop and gotten it all in just the same. If I had raised all in on the turn, he would have called with top set. We would have gotten it all in just the same. Like there was no way that this hand was going to go down that we didn't get it all in and he wasn't going to hit the river. So it was just kind of like a setup. And and unfortunately, I was on the wrong side of that. Certainly sucks when especially instead of going up to like 150K, I get knocked down to 50K, you know, like just over 20 big blinds, kind of a, a shitty spot and a tough one to deal with. But in the end, I think just analyzing the the hand for what it was and recognizing that going full trap on this board was not the best move and putting in a raise on the flop would have been justified, but certainly on the turn going for a full trap on this board, I think is just way too optimistic. There's just too many bad cards that are going to come and ruin your hands. So none of them actually ended up coming, but uh, but a card that did end up giving him a full house did. So say la vie. That said, one of the things I'm really proud of is I didn't let this tilt me. Like I didn't freak out about it or, you know, bemoan my bad luck. I just kept playing. And that's a lot easier to do in like a 1K event than it is in like a 10K event, certainly. But I had a good mindset and I didn't let it bother me. And I ended up grinding the rest of the day. And I actually ended up cashing in this tournament right around midnight. Yeah, it was a tournament that started at 10 a.m. So like 14 hours into this goddamn tournament, I made the money. And it wasn't a lot of money. You know, it wasn't even a, a double cash, but it was my first WSOP tournament cash in my very first WSOP tournament. So that was a really cool feeling. And, and it just made me feel good going into the main event and, and getting 14 hours of play in, in a tournament setting, getting familiar with the lay of the land, with the casinos and, you know, all the little nuances of tournament play, uh, all that really helped me and make me, made me feel really good and confident going into the main event. So congratulations to me on my, uh, on my massive $1,600 cash in the mini main at the World Series of Poker, Obama putting a medal on himself. Meme. Okay, my friends, that is today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, as a bit of a spoiler, I have more tournament episodes coming up for you guys. Now, I'm not a fucking tourney bro. I'm never going to be a tourney bro, but I definitely think that adding tournaments into my repertoire is something I need to start branching out and doing. I've been doing it lately. And recently, I played the main event at Thunder Valley, a $2,500 buy-in. And that was a really cool event. Uh, just happened last weekend. So that will be the podcast, I believe, for like the next two podcasts. And then we'll get back to cash games. I promise you guys, I've been accumulating plenty of cash game hands as I've been going through and recording these tournament podcasts. And I know some of you guys love the tourney podcasts. I'd also guess there's plenty of you guys who are like, fuck this shit. Like, where's my cash game stuff? So, you know, bear with me while we go through this. But tournaments are super fun. And I've had a lot of fun playing them lately. And it was really cool to play the Thunder Valley main last weekend. A lot of great hands from that tournament. So I think that'll be the next two episodes of this podcast. Stay tuned for those. But anyways, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And until next week, my friends, play good and run pure.